So we started a new series last week called Gifted, and we're, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but not the uh, kind of classical gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, but some of the other gifts of the Spirit. And the idea or sort of the focus of this series is that there is a great diversity of giftedness that God blesses us, His church, with, uh, and that in, in the midst of that, uh, those gifts are given uh, to individuals, and, and the gifts of the Spirit are a little bit different than like gifts we give one another. When we give somebody a gift, it's for them. That's their gift, and you buy it for them. Gifts of the Spirit, God gives to us for others, and so they're really used to build up the body of Christ and to advance the kingdom of God. So that's, that's the essence of this, but really underneath all that, and the, and the point that I, I want to make throughout this series over the next couple months is this. Everybody gets to play. And, and that, that's a cute little catchphrase that Wimber created, you know, back, uh, you know, many, many years ago. But it's really so much more than that. It's, it's not just a little phrase. It, it, it's a truth that everybody is involved. Everybody gets to play. There, there, there is something, and I say this sometimes, and I think people think I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. Uh, I, I say it's, uh, it's not the same when you're not here. There's something you have that is a blessing to us that maybe nobody else has. And so my hope as we go forward is that uh, some of you will be encouraged to, to figure out maybe something you didn't know about yourself that's a gift from God that you can use on our behalf. Last week, we also looked really quickly at the word uh, gift in, in Scripture, and it's an interesting word, it's charisma, and, it, and it, the root word is charis, which is grace. And so charisma is a, is a gift of grace. It's a little impartation, a specific little impartation of God's grace uh, on you for His people. So with that, why don't we uh, today we're going to look at one of those gifts. I'm going to introduce the topic, uh, probably come back to it in a couple of weeks. But uh, I want to talk about the gift of hospitality today. But let's pray first. Father, thank you so much uh, just for this morning. It's a beautiful time in worship today and your presence with us. And we thank you so much for just being with us. Just, just what Donna said, that you're with us, that you're here. Whether we're together, whether we're separate, wherever we are, Whatever we go through, no matter how difficult life gets, you're there. So we thank you in your name. Amen. Uh, I want to preface this morning with this. I, I really believe, and I've, I have believed this for a number of years, it's my personal conviction, that the gift of hospitality is the most important and most needed gift in the church in the 21st century. And I believe it's crucial to uh, God's purpose in the world today and to making Him known to those uh, in our culture. Uh, the good news of Jesus, I think it's the gift of hospitality is crucial to making that known to people. I, I don't think anybody would argue with me that we live uh, in a world of hostility. And it seems to me I was thinking about this morning as I was driving in. I don't recall a time in my life, in my short life, that uh, has ever been, don't laugh at that, 
golly, I just got mocked by my worship leader. I don't remember a time in my life that has ever been more hostility just generally in public than today. It, it, it's, there, there is just division and there's anger and there's name calling and there's finger pointing and there's finger flipping and there's just, it's, some, it's, 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 uh, it's political, it's religious, it's racial, and sometimes it, it transcends those things. And sometimes it, it seems as though people are just looking for something to, to be contentious about, you know? Uh, they're just, just, just looking for something to be upset with somebody else about. Uh, and in the midst of that, there is nothing more radical, nothing more countercultural, nothing more out of the box, no, nothing more uh, upside down kingdom of God than taking uh, a world of hostility and turning it into a world of hospitality. Um, there, there's a few people, it's interesting, in Scripture, in the New Testament, there's a, a few different people that are commended for their hospitality. One of those, one of my favorite uh, stories, is at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul is, is actually, at this point in, in his history, is, is a prisoner. He's in, he's in prison, and he's being transported from one location to another uh, via ship. So if you just imagine, you know, the, the jailer and the guards and the wardens or whoever, they put all the prisoners on a boat, and they're going to take them to another place. And on their way, they encounter a storm, and the storm kicks up. It becomes a, a fairly significant storm, and their ship is capsized, and they kind of shipwreck. Uh, so some of them kind of cling to the, the boat, you know, or whatever, and they drift into this island. And they get to this island, and, and uh, it says when they got there that Paul got bit by a poisonous snake, but he lived. And, and that's just a weird side note. But then uh, after that, this happens. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. Uh, and you go, well, yeah, that's what you would do, right? But is that what we would do? Uh, you know, if, let's just say uh, there's a, a transport van going down I-5 full of prisoners, and it crashes, and some of those prisoners show up at your house. Do you open your door? And say, hey, come in, hang out, let me cook for you, let me make you some food. Here, get a shower, you look like, you know, here's some dry clothes. Uh, let me, and they just, they stayed there for three days and he cared for them. I think that is uh, a, significant, a significant thing to happen. There's a uh, gentleman in the book of Romans that's mentioned named Gaius, and he is commended for his hospitality. There's also a passage in Timothy where Paul's writing to Timothy and he references a group of widows in the church, and he says, hey, I want you to take special care of these people. Uh, and he says the reason is because they've taken care of others. So there's sort of a sowing and reaping dynamic there. He said, hey, these, these, these ladies have really shown hospitality to folks, so I want you to make sure also that, that you take care of them. Uh, there are a few different verses that talk about hospitality. In Romans it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, the difference between prescriptive and descriptive Scripture. So descriptive just explains how things are. Prescriptive is, is actually giving us a directive, telling us what to do. And this is a prescriptive Scripture. Uh, Paul is saying here, this is what I want you to do. Uh, Peter chimes in, offer hospitality to one another without gr grumbling. So he ups the ante a little bit. Not only should you do this, but do it with a good attitude. 
I need to remember that one sometimes. Um, and then John also uh, has something to say on the topic. He says, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Then my together got cut off. But um, th- this particular verse <clears throat> is actually written, directed to uh, Gaius, the man mentioned in Romans. Uh, Paul here is commending him for his hospitality. Uh, the such people that he's talking about are, in fact, strangers that, that Gaius has opened his home to. And we'll uh, come back to that in, in just a minute. But then finally, this one is my favorite. I love, I love this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, th- that, I don't get that. I don't understand. I mean, I, I understand, but I don't understand, right? That... That's crazy. There, that, that, if I'm reading correctly, that means there might be people out walking around that aren't really people. They're actually angels. And that's, that's crazy to me, I think. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I've never, to my knowledge, ever seen an angel. I've had people tell me they've seen angels. Different meetings or conferences. I was in a, <laughs> I was in a conference one time. And this guy goes, hey, there's two angels in here. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, right there. I see them. They're just right there. I'm like, I don't see them. He goes, yeah, they're big, huge. I'm like, man, dude. Uh, but here's the thing about that. Every time someone has told me they, they saw angels, they're always sort of this big, radiant, glowing kind of uh, you know, thing. I've never had anybody say they saw an angel and it looked like the homeless guy on the corner. Or it looked like a lady broken down in a parking lot that needs help with her car. Or I've seen an angel and it looked like the hippie kid that's hitchhiking to Eugene. Because that's where all hippie kids hitchhike to. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that weird? You ever see the guy on the freeway? There's always some dude with the beard and the dog and he's going to Eugene. I'm like, what's, what's with that? But that, whatever's there, they like it. Um, where are we? So yeah, angels. Uh, so I want to uh, try to... Define hospitality biblically for you this morning because it's a little different than we describe it, it, the way that we use the word hospitality in our culture. And I think you might be a little bit surprised. In, in our in contemporary society in the vernacular, when we talk about hospitality, what we mean is simply being welcoming. Okay, Some people have the gift of hospitality, we might say, or they're good host or hostess. And that means you like to go over to their house because they make good food and it's fun and it's nice and you feel welcome. Or, or maybe you, know, you would even mean that you let somebody stay with you for a few days. Last summer, uh, our friends uh, in Nicaragua, Eugenio Maltez is the pastor there, and his two, his two teenage kids, and they came and spent a few weeks over here and they traveled around and uh, visited different people, and they stayed at our house for a few days. We don't have a guest room, so they just slept on my couch. Uh, but I figured they're teenagers, you know, they can deal with it. But uh, it was fun. We had them over, and, 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 you know, I cooked for them. We took them out. Donna took them shopping, and then, uh, you know, then they, they went home, and, and then their dad sent me a little note. And he said, hey, thank you so much for your hospitality to my kids. So it, it, it meant just opening our home and kind of taking care of people. But typically when we do that, it's a situation like that where it's a friend or a family member or someone that we have relationship with. The Greek word that's translated hospitality in our Bible is philoxenia, 
And it means literally love of strangers. It's made up from two words, phylos and xenos. Phylos is love. Uh, specifically, it's brotherly love. The Scripture, there, there are in Greek in the New Testament a few different words uh, translated love, which I find to be very helpful because we have only one word love for love, and so it can be confusing. You know, I say I love my wife and I love pizza, and they don't mean the same thing, although sometimes it's close. No, just kidding, honey, not really. I do like pizza, though. Uh, but in Scripture, there's, there's at least three different words for, for love. Uh, there's agape, the unconditional love of God for his people. And then there, there is eros, which is the romantic love between a husband and wife. And then there's phylos, which is brotherly love. It's like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that's the one we use the most often, to be honest. That's how we love one another here. You know, I, I, <clears throat> sometimes after service, I, I see... Steve, and I, I go up and I give him a hug, and I go, love you, man. And that's what I mean. I love you like a brother. I care about you. You matter to me. And that's, that's what that means. And then xenos literally means the other or stranger. It's a love of the stranger. We have another word that uh, you, you may have heard recently. Uh, it's been in the news a little bit in, you know, in our culture, and that is uh, xenophobia, which is a fear of the other. So there's sometimes a, a thing in us that says, I see someone different than me, and I'm afraid of them. And I think, you know, if you, you, you maybe have had that experience where you're, you're somewhere and you see uh, <clears throat> maybe a Middle Eastern person in traditional Middle Eastern dress, and all of a sudden you get afraid. There's somebody different than me. Some of us, if we're honest, uh, have that uh, you know, it's ingrained a little deeper. I've even had people say to me, yeah, if you go up in northeast Portland, you know, it's kind of sketchy. You don't want to go there. It's kind of a black neighborhood. Oh, that's, that's scary. Blacks. So there's this fear that we have. But this is the exact opposite of that. Philoxenia is a love of people, specifically, that are different than us. You see, that is the radical nature of the kingdom of God. God, God doesn't call us just to, we're, we're to love one another, love each other, but not just one another. It's not enough just to love people that, that are nice to you, that are like you, that you can connect and relate with. It, it, there's a specific call in the kingdom of God to, to love people who may be different than you and I. Uh, you know, it's, it's society, our society in particular, is very homogenous. There is an almost built-in sort of us-them mentality. And it's interesting. It begins, I think, around junior high. I've noticed, you ever notice, little kids don't have that. Little kids just, you know, you want to play? You want to be my friend? They don't care. They don't care. A couple of years ago, uh, my grandson Caspian was at his preschool. He was four or five-ish, I think, at the time. And he came home and was telling his mom a story about a, a little friend at school. And she didn't know who it was. She goes, well, what, is, you know, who, what does she look like? And he said, well, she's a little shorter than me. 
And he's trying to describe this friend, and Aaron didn't know who it was. She goes, I don't know. And he kept describing everything he could think of to describe her, and she goes, I don't know who it was. And so the next day they were at school, and Caspian goes, well, that's the little girl I was telling you about, and she's African-American, but he never said it's the little black girl. It, di- it didn't, he didn't think of that. So there's a, as children, when we're born, we, we have uh, the, a love of strangers in us, but I'll tell you, uh, our society will beat it out of you by about the time you get into junior high. Because really, it's about that stage in life when we begin to segment ourselves into these little subcultures and groups. And it's based on everything. You ever notice that? There's, 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 you know, it's, there's sure, certainly language, color, race, religion, political party. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It's, you know, what sports team you root for, what kind of music you listen to. If you listen to country music, you are certainly not going to hang out with those rock and rollers over there. It's based on what kind of car you drive. It's based on what neighborhood you live in. We can, we're very creative in our ability to think up ways to separate ourselves from one another. When we talk about love of strangers, it's, it's not a it's, it's not just theoretic or sort of uh, abstract. It really is concrete. Uh, as, as Wimber would say, it has shoe leather. That means that, you know, there's feet on the ground. It, it, it has action to it. It, it means something. Um, so before we get into application, and, and I'm going to talk about the application of this in a couple weeks, um, but I, I want to I sort of th- this morning answer this question. Why is it important that we do this? What's behind the biblical directive to love strangers? So I'm going to start in the Old Testament and then work our way forward. Beginning in Deuteronomy, it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And so uh, what God is saying here is, you remember when you were in Egypt what that felt like. Don't do that to other people. It's sort of like the golden rule in reverse. It's, It's like, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, it's don't do unto others what you wouldn't want them to do to you or, in fact, what was actually done to you. Leviticus, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. So you're to uh, love them as you love yourself. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Two uh, sort of uh, reasons here. Uh, the same one as Deuteronomy, this is the way you were treated, don't do that. But the second one is, I'm God. And, you know, that has a little bit of weight to it. You know, if I tell you, hey, I think you should do this or that or the other thing, you can say, hey, well, I don't want to do that, and you can not take my advice. And you know what? That's okay, no big deal. But if God says you should do this and you don't do it, well, that's a different story. There there might be some more significant significant consequences to not doing what God tells you to do. Um, I want to look at not only, not only does God um, 
give us the instruction to love others, but he kind of gives us some insight as to how we are to do that, how, how it works out. Again, in Deuteronomy, he says, when you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe. So we talk about tithing is giving a ten, 10% of, of what we have to the Lord. He says, you shall give it to the Levite, that is the temple, that goes into the church, so to speak, and to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So in the Old Testament, the tithe was specifically set aside not only to go to the temple, but also to care for those that were in need. Uh, there are other uh, provisions made in Scripture for caring for those in need and those that are foreigners. Some of you uh, are probably familiar with the book of Ruth, beautiful little Old Testament story. Uh, Ruth is a story of two widows, uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And they both of their husbands pass. And they end up living in a land that's not their home. And so while they're in that land, they, as, as single women in a foreign land, they have little ability to provide for themselves and take care of themselves. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. So gleaning was, was actually a provision that was made specifically for this reason. The farmers would leave behind a little bit of their crop. Rather than harvesting everything, they would leave some behind on behalf of those who were in need. And then those who were in need could come and take that for themselves. And that was uh, a legal and a, and a right thing to do. Uh, there, there, is, there is very much a, a kind of an if-then dynamic throughout the Old Testament. If you do this, then you will receive this. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament. And, and I mention that because very often um, people, not specific people, but groups of people or nations, would come under judgment specifically because they did not care for foreigners or those in need. Um, you know, we talk about sometimes Sodom and Gomorrah, and you think of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was because of the heinous uh, sexual sin that was taking place there and homosexuality, and we go, that's why God judged them. But Scripture actually tells us why God judged them. Uh, Ezekiel says, This was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. You know, here's what I have found. Uh, I, this is just my, my own little sort of... Uh, uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love that. Uh, my, my, you know, my insight, the thing that I, I've seen is this, that very often the sort of... Uh, those those sort of sins that we see that are sort of that are more visible, whether it's you know just any kind of sexual sin, evil, kind of mean, uh, just all that stuff. What's really always behind that is being uh, arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. You have that, and then you don't care about other people, so mistreating them is of nothing. That's really where it begins. That's the root cause of that. Um. I think it's, it's worthwhile mentioning in, in at least a couple of those texts, and there are others as well, uh, the directive was you really are to, to love the foreigner as you love yourself. It's, it's not 
okay, they're kind of okay. No, we're to really care enough about people that we, we treat them the way that we would want to be treated and that we would treat our friends. Uh, so a couple things in summary, Old Testament. We show hospitality because God showed hospitality to us. That's sort of the underlying thing throughout Scripture. Uh, God was good to you, and so you should therefore be good to others. We are instructed throughout Scripture also to be like Him. What we do is reflective of who God is. That's our goal in life, is to be more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus, to be more like God, to be uh, the way that He was to us, to others. And then the second reason is out of empathy, because you yourself were foreigners. I don't know, have any of you ever been in a situation where you were the foreigner, were you the outsider? Have you ever been in that situation where you <laughs> How does it feel, Emmy? Uh You know, we were, in 1982, right after we got married, Donna and I were in South Africa for a couple months. We helped plant a church over there. And while we were there, we attended a meeting held by a man named Ray McCauley who worked with Reinhard Bonnke. It was an evangelistic thing in this huge, huge, gigantic tent. And there were, I don't know how many, a couple thousand people there at least. And our team, and there was probably 12 of us, uh, we were the only white people in that tent. And it felt a little weird. I, I, I'll be honest. I, I had not experienced kind of being the minority before. But all of a sudden, we were the minority. I mean, the upside is that, that they were very gracious and loving, and kind of we were the honored guests. But nonetheless, I, I sensed in my own kind of thing, you know, wow, this is different. I've never been here before. Uh, so, so we are to extend care and love to foreigners Help them to feel welcome, despite the fact that they may be different. In fact, specifically because of the fact that they may be different than us. Uh, let's look uh, really fast at the New Testament. This is Ephesians. Uh, you will remember from our previous series uh, in, in the, trans- the transformation that takes place when we come into the presence of God. So this is a sort of a uh, abbreviated... Uh, section from Ephesians 2. It says, As for you, that's us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you uh, used, gosh, I, it's, it's cut off, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Further down, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. By grace you've been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. You were the ultimate, we were, I was too, the ultimate outsider. We, we, we were not only foreigners and strangers, we were dead. And God says, I made you alive. You were far away and I brought you close. I brought you so close, in fact, that now you're seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. Uh, everything that he has is yours. You have been invited into the relationship that Jesus has with God. All of the joy, all of the peace, all of the righteousness, all of the goodness and grace, everything that Jesus enjoys in his relationship with God has been extended now to you. You were far away, you've been brought near, you were dead, now you're alive. And that's why we're called to be hospitable. 
because that's what God did uh, for us. Romans 15 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to be bring praise to God. The one another there, by the way, is not qualified. It doesn't say who one another is. It just says accept one another. Uh, and then again in Ephesians 5, this was the title of our last series. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love as Christ loved us. Because he did it for us, you do it for others. That's the reality. When, when we do this, what it does, it, 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 it crushes that us-them sort of mindset. All of a sudden, that goes away. Uh, you know, there, nobody's on the outside anymore. Everybody's in. Um, I, there's a, I want to look at a familiar teaching of Jesus. Jesus said to his host, uh, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and you so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you'll be blessed Although they cannot repay you, uh, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So here's the thing. He's not saying you can't ever have your friends over. You can do that. It's okay. In fact, you should do that. What he is saying is that there's not a specific kingdom dynamic to that. That's community. We love each other. We care about each other. But, but what, what really uh, illustrates the kingdom of God in a very real way is when we have that same sort of dynamic that we have with our friends, with others. Um, and, and here's the thing. In this in first century, it was not a whole lot different than today. The, the truth is this, and, and we, we can identify. These people listed here are not going to get invited to a lot of parties. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. They're not going to get invited to a lot of parties. And so uh, what Jesus is saying is cut against the grain. Do what other people don't do and invite them to your party. And, and uh, remember, too, at that time, now today, we have certain social structures that are put in place governmentally to care for those people. We have DHS and Section 8 housing, and there's any, any number of uh, governmental sort of things that are in place to help care for people in need, but those things didn't exist then. It really was up to the church to do this. And don't get me started on that, because I'll tell you, if the church did its job, we wouldn't need those things. I'm getting waved too. If the church did its job, we wouldn't need those social structures in place. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the, the provisions that the government makes to care for people in need. But I'll be honest, I would rather see the church do it. It doesn't mean that you cannot have boundaries, that you just invite everyone home with you everywhere you go. I know people that do that, and I know people who have been deeply hurt by that. But, but what it does mean is this. It means you can't live your whole life in the safe zone. Every now and then, you, you have to, to get outside. And you have to make space for other people in your life. That's what it means. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, a couple of weeks, we, we will um, look at some more specific application. But I want to leave you with this today. So, these are baby steps. Remember uh, Bob, baby steps, Bob, baby steps? Uh, what's the name of that movie? What about Bob? Yeah, okay. <laughs> of course. It's hilarious, man. 
couple things you can do. First thing, uh, when you're driving around, walking around, whatever, doing what you're doing, you see someone that's different than you, whether that's, you know, racially, religious, whatever, somebody different. Bless that person. You don't have to go up to them and say anything. Just in your own mind, in your own heart, just say, God, I pray you would bless that person. Lord, just give them a good day today. I pray, I pray that you would touch that person today. Just bless them. Just a little prayer, two seconds, three seconds. I think as you do that, what happens is you'll find that your heart and your mind begin to be transformed, really. And you begin to, over time, look at people that are different differently. Second thing is this. Uh, and there's a text here. Jesus says, If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So, so my, my second baby step is this. Maybe greet those people. When you see someone different, just say, hi. How's it going? How are you today? Have a good day today. You don't have to get a deep conversation. Just greet them. You know, it's amazing. I think, look, if, if we set about to smile at people that are different than us, just smile and say hi. Think about what would happen in the world we live in, the change that would take place. Just that, nothing else. Begin to tear down that you're different, I don't like you, I'm afraid of you. You just smile and say, good morning. How's it going? Third thing is this. This is a slightly larger baby step. But just begin in your own heart and in your own life to make space for people that are different. And, and, and again, I don't know that that means you have to have them over, but maybe you do get engaged in a, in a little conversation with someone. Maybe you just sit down and talk to them. Uh, years ago, I was in Starbucks, surprise, and there was a guy there who was of another faith, and I said hello, and he said hello, and I ended up sitting down and talking with him and just having about a 20-minute conversation where I said, tell me about this. What do, you, what do you believe? How does this work? And I was not being like, judgmental or critical or my way is better than your way. I, I, I really just wanted to know. I just find out. What, what is this about? How does that go? It was really, it was really nice. And, and maybe you can do that. Just find a way to open that door a little bit and begin to make some space in your life for people that are different than yourself. So, so with that, we'll close. Well, we went way over. No wonder those kids are outside. Um, my bad. Uh, look, at just, just this. In, in, in the homogenous world we live in, it, it's hostile. And, and just make an effort to minimize hostility and step out into hospitality and, and change the way you think about people that are different than you. Let's stand.